Do you use the phrase doubly sure, doubly sure? I have. Uh, let me give you a couple examples of how and when I try to be doubly sure. When we have stayed, Patrice and I have stayed in a hotel room or visited someone's home out of town, I usually ask her to go back inside to check the room to, to make doubly sure we have gotten everything. Because usually I overlook things and she's the master finder. I've also worked with some of you and learned the wisdom of this phrase, measure twice and cut once. Nothing is more frustrating than cutting a board too short for some, pur for some purpose. Well, we measure twice to make doubly sure that we've got the right measurement. There have been times in my life, I'm sure there have been in yours, when I should have made doubly sure of something. And one thing came to mind is when I was preaching a gospel meeting at, for the Snowdown uh, Church outside of Boonville, Mississippi. Uh, the church building is out in the country, and on this Sunday I had ridden with someone so they could show me the, how to get there. It was several miles outside of Boonville. But while we were traveling, I was talking the whole time and learning about the people that were showing me the way, so I didn't observe the way. Uh, the next night, I thought, I can remember the way. Famous last words, right? And I went what I thought was the right way. There's a sermon in this as well. And ended up in Jumpertown, not Snowdown. And when I told the congregation when I finally made it to the church building that I'd been to Jumpertown, they collectively laughed out loud. I had gone in exactly the opposite direction. Problem was my GPS wasn't working out in the, the countryside. So I learned before I head somewhere, especially if I'm visiting, I need to make doubly sure of that I know the way. We need to make doubly sure of the things that we believe about Jesus and about the Bible. And this appears to be the backdrop of some of Peter's instruction in 2 Peter chapter 1. I invite you to open your, your Bibles or look up 2 Peter 1 one more time in our study of this short book. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for us. That, he, that through Him we can be saved and remain saved as we walk in the light of His Word. We believe that through Jesus we can live eternally with God in heaven after this life is over. How can we be sure? How can we be absolutely sure of these things that we believe? Again, the audience to whom Peter is writing is also dealing with false teachers. And so they're hearing different things from Peter, the apostle, and these false teachers. And one of the things under, under question, under debate among them, is the matter of the second coming of Christ. There were false teachers among them that were denying the second coming. And Peter is writing this epistle to them to affirm to them of the reality and the truthfulness of Jesus' second coming. So in these circumstances, when they're hearing different messages, conflicting messages, I'm sure it was much easier for them to be confused and to, to have these questions about how can we be sure of Christ and these promises that we're to stand upon? Well, Peter wrote this section 
in, in our Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, to, to correct the confusion and to help them to understand they could be doubly sure of the truths that, that he had taught them. Let's begin in verse 12 where Peter reminds them, remember not to forget, remember not to forget. Verse 12, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. In those verses, you see quickly that Peter wants to be sure that they're reminded of the truths that he had shared with them in the past. He's not seeking to reveal new truth to them. He wants them to be reminded of these truths. He says, I'm going to remind you. And in fact, I'm going to keep reminding you, stirring you up by reminding you of these truths. In fact, he says it's important to me that even after I'm gone, even after he dies, that they would continue to be reminded of these truths. Peter is addressing a reality in all of our lives that we are prone to forget. and Therefore, we need to be reminded Specifically, what truth did they need to hold on to so that they wouldn't be swept away by these false teachers? Well, look at verse 16 with me. Peter says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Again, one of the debated things among them, again, counteracting these false teachers who were denying that Jesus was coming again. Peter is affirming to them the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that seems to be a reference to his second coming. And that's why he's affirming these truths to them. How can we be sure that the Lord is returning? Apparently is the question that he's addressing. And he gives them two reasons why we can be sure, doubly sure, about Christ. Number one, there's the testimony of eyewitnesses. The testimony of eyewitnesses. Peter's being very personal here. He draws on his own experience, his own eyewitness testimony. Look with me, verse 16 again. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that that's what the false teachers were suggesting, that Peter was sharing these <coughs> cunningly devised fables. Peter says, no, that's not the case. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Not only Peter, but others were eyewitnesses. So he's appealing to them, I'm giving you eyewitness testimony. And then he gives an example of some things that he and others saw. Verse 17, for he received from God, the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to him, Jesus, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
When did God the Father say that of Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Many of you will think, as I, about the baptism of Jesus. When the Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove and the voice came from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There was another occasion that Peter is referring to. And that's what we find in verse 18. When he heard this voice from heaven say the same thing. We heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And thus we're, we're, we turn to the account of when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he, his appearance was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. So Peter is alluding to that, that very account, that very thing that he witnessed himself as, as being a reason why these Christians could, could be sure, could be certain of the truths that he had shared with them. I want to go back with you and read Matthew's account of the transfiguration of Jesus. And as we do so, Put yourself in Peter's place and think about what he saw and what he would take away from this experience. This is Matthew 17, beginning with verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Picture that, if you will. Transfigured. He, his appearance has changed. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as, as white as the light. He's glowing. It may remind us of Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. And, and he had to put a veil on because of the glory of being in the presence, in a special way, the presence of God. Well, here is Jesus, the Son of God... And his appearance is transformed. And think about how Peter would be affected by this and would never, ever forget it. Not only that, verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Moses and Elijah had, well, Elijah had been taken up into heaven. Moses had died. But here, Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus. Peter answered and said Jesus to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter is so amazed at this experience. He's thinking, we need to do something to commemorate this event. Let me build three tabernacles and let them be visual reminders of what is happening right now on this mountain. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until 
the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And though he was instructed by Jesus, don't tell anybody about this until I am raised from the dead. I'm sure Peter never, ever forgot this experience. Imagine it. Imagine seeing what Peter saw. Now flash forward to when he's writing to these Christians who've been told that Jesus isn't really coming and they're looking for assurance. Uh, how can we be sure of, of who Jesus is and the fact that he's coming again? And Peter says, well, let me tell you what I saw personally. And Peter had a relationship with them. He had taught them many truths, and now he's reminding them of these truths, and he's trying to shore them up and, and, and assure them of, that they can have confidence of this, these truths. But why is it that Peter referenced Jesus' transfiguration instead of what the apostles usually referenced, and that is the resurrection of Jesus? Maybe Peter was reasoning like this. If Christ was glorified once in our presence, and he could say in my presence, we saw it happen, then Christ can and will be glorified again when he returns. You see, these Christians knew Peter. They knew his character. They knew his work in the cause of Christ. He was their teacher. And he's saying to them, I saw this with my own eyes. And I'm telling you what happened. And if he did it then, he can do it again. And therefore, you can be sure of Christ's power and his coming again. The majestic voice on this mountain that Peter never forgot hearing affirmed many things but including these three truths. Number one, that Jesus is the Son of God. A voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It affirmed Christ's identity as the Son of God. It affirmed Christ's preeminence over God's servants, that is, Moses and Elijah, two heroes to the Jews and, and those uh, Christians who... Uh, we're familiar with Israelite history. But Jesus is the Son. They were servants. And it also affirmed that Christ, Christ's position was the one. He's the one that we must listen, to whom we must listen and obey. So at least those three truths were indelibly fixed in Peter's mind, having witnessed, been an eyewitness of the transfiguration of Jesus. And he's sharing this testimony to affirm to these Christians, you can stand on these promises. You can be stand on these convictions that pow the power and coming of Christ. So we can be sure of these facts because of eyewitness testimony. That of Peter and other eyewitnesses. But then Peter points to another uh, testimony, hence to be doubly sure. We can be sure based on Peter's eyewitness testimony, but also because of the testimony of the Scriptures. Verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, 
In other words, what Peter witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration just affirmed and confirmed what the, the prophets of old had predicted. We have the prophetic word confirmed, and you do well to heed Heated as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in, in your hearts. When I read that, I thought about going to uh, DeSoto Caverns. I think I was in high school, DeSoto Caverns. And I think Lucian went to DeSoto Caverns recently. And I asked Lucian when I saw him after his trip, did they turn out the lights while you were in there? I said, because I remember when they did turn out the lights when we were there. And I remember being inside that, that cavern, turning out the lights, and putting my hand right in front of my face. And, of course, I saw absolutely nothing. It was void of any light whatsoever. Pitch darkness. Imagine in that pitch darkness what one candle or one light from a phone, how it would illuminate and people would be drawn to that light. That's the imagery that Peter is using. We have the testimony of Scripture, which is we do well to heed it like a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's given his own eyewitness testimony. and He's also saying... The scriptures are, are testifying to these truths. For example, the apostles always insisted that Christ fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. In fact, when uh, they would, like Paul, when he would travel in his missionary journeys, when he'd come to a location, he would often go first to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. Those who were familiar with the law of Moses and the reading of the prophets. And what he would do in those locations is take those Old Testament scriptures, particularly the prophecies, and show how Christ had fulfilled them. I like to view it as connecting the dots. You remember connecting the dots. And here is an image of, of you connect the dots, then you have a picture of Jesus. Mind you, none of us know what Jesus looked like. However, if we follow the prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies, there is so much we learn about Jesus from those prophecies. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, would try to help the Jews connect the dots. He'd try to explain to them. He'd, for example, in Luke chapter 4, he read from Isaiah 61, and he closed the scroll and said, Today, this... This is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm the one that the prophet was speaking about. And he would tell the, the apostles, Luke chapter 24, he tried to connect the dots for them as well. And that all things written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms concerning him, he had fulfilled. And what that gave them was that proof, that testimony that Jesus was in fact the Son of God because he had fulfilled all of those prophecies. And because of that, the, the testimony of the scriptures are that bright, that bright light in a dark place that illuminates and shows the way 
the truth of God and the way to, to be blessed by, by Him. So God's Word is like a lamp shining in a dark place, which the psalmist had said long ago, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But what is the significance of, for example, Christ fulfilling all those prophecies? The significance is astounding, and it's showing that what God has said is true, and that the Scriptures came from God. And that's what Peter affirms in verses 20 and 21. Notice with me. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Sometimes when we read that, we may, we may think about how we interpret Scripture. We say no Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation in that we are not free to interpret Scripture just as we wish according to our own private rules or according to no systematic rules at all. We need to interpret Scripture according to the rules of language in the light of their background. But it's really not speaking to how we interpret Scripture. It's speaking about the prophets and how when, when they spoke by inspiration, they weren't giving their own opinions. They were giving God's revelation. They weren't giving what, what uh, Jeremiah or Isaiah thought about the matter. They were revealing God's judgment and God's revelation on the matter. They gave God's interpretation. They spoke as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Notice the second part. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I remember hearing a preacher, Bill Watkins, years ago, that talked about this word moved, how it was a nautical term. And he described a sailboat and how that sail would capture the wind and how that wind would carry it along. And, and Peter's imagery is that, yes, the word was written, it was spoken by men, but as they were moved along, carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. So that God was revealing his will through these inspired people. It reminds us of a companion passage. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally, that means God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And because it is from God. As Peter says, we better pay attention to the scriptures found in the Bible. We need to take heed and obey uh, and stand upon the truths that are presented therein. So bringing it all together, can you be sure about Christ? Can you be certain that he is the Messiah, the King of the kingdom, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord can you really believe in his power and his coming? Peter says, yes, 
you can. You can be sure about these things. Not only that, doubly sure. We, with the witness of the apostles and the testimony of Scripture, we can be doubly sure. And in response, we need to recognize the Word of God as a light in a dark place and follow that light as it reveals the, the, the Word and the will of God and follow it as it leads us to Jesus who is the key to entering eternal life in heaven. Doubly sure. We can be doubly sure of these truths that we find in the Word. If you're convicted of the truthfulness of, of Christ and His will and are ready to respond to Him in obedience to His will, we extend the invitation of Christ to you tonight. If you, if you desire the prayers of the church as one who's wandered away or as one who's carrying a heavy burden and you need help in bearing that burden, we'd love to pray with you and for you. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, please come right now as we stand and sing.